But I want to read something. Uh, how many of you are familiar with Oswald Chambers? Anybody? Oh, excellent, excellent. My wife and I have uh, been reading Oswald for forever, and uh, this, this is the book, and it's, uh, don't buy me another one. We're not, we got more notes in here and praises and prayers than you can shake a stick at. God is good. I want to read from April 10th, uh, the devotion. I'm going to read part of it. It says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, knowing that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. That's from Romans 6. Co-crucifixion. Have I made this decision about sin that it must be killed right out in me. It takes a long time to come to a moral decision about sin, but it is the great moment in my life when I decide that just as Jesus Christ died for the sin of the world, so sin must die out in me, not be curbed or suppressed or counteracted but crucified. Father, as we meet here, as I speak on forgiveness, Lord, we turn to your word. We turn to your grace, your forgiveness, your spirit to enlighten us, Lord, to uh, the possibility, the necessity, the obligation to forgive. Open our hearts and minds, Father. Help us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. We are a week past Easter 2021. We are just 10 days beyond the remembrance of the crucifixion of Christ. And I think it's timely, as it always is, to bring to mind the universal but often overlooked sometimes glossed over truths that we can find only in God's Word. The whole counsel of God must be studied and adhered to. Acts 20, 26 and 27 read this way. Wherefore I take you to record this day This is the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul saying that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, the whole counsel of God. If we examine those two verses, what we're seeing here is Paul testifying not about his past persecution of Christ followers. But he is saying that since he became a follower, an apostle of Christ, he is not neglected to preach or proclaim any point of divine truth. Therefore, therefore, Paul has done his job before man and God to protect men from God's judgment 
by sharing the whole of divine revelation of God's word to all people. Therefore, he could not be held accountable before God when those who face divine judgment apart from Christ through lack of obedience to Christ. Paul would not be responsible. We have choices to make. What I want to speak today about is the absolute necessity, obligation to forgive, which is one of those critical elements found within the whole counsel of God's Word, the Bible. Not to forgive some, some of the time, but to forgive all, all the time. Let me make clear what I mean by that. Because I know that forgiveness is a complex and certainly an emotionally charged process. It really is. It was for Jesus, too. He sweat great drops of blood as he prepared to forgive. We are responsible before Christ Jesus to forgive those that have impacted us personally in a negative, harmful, or even a viciously life-threatening way. We're required. I'm required to do it, and so are you. Forgiveness is not optional. It's not a personal thing. It's not arbitrary. It's a command with consequences, eternal consequences. One thing we need to remember is that God didn't simply send his son to die so that people can merely mention the name of Jesus when they die and get to heaven and be let in. You know, it's like, you know, Shazam. It's not that at all. Otherwise, he could have stopped writing the New Testament after the Gospels and a few chapters maybe in Acts. It would have been all done. Oh, just just say that word. But he didn't stop there. Why? Because there is more to being a disciple of Christ than mentioning the name of Jesus or mistakenly believing that you're born again if you do that. I go to Lowe's a lot. And if I just assume that everybody who mentions the name of Jesus was saved, I think everybody in there would be saved. You know exactly what I mean. There's more to following Christ, to being a true follower of Christ, than that. Much more. Part of that much more is growing spiritually. One of those much more elements we see in Scripture concerning the vast subject of forgiveness. While I know both professionally how difficult this subject may prove to be to my clients, and and I do recognize it, but I, I recognize it because I know personally what forgiveness is. I'm still recommending a book that I read when I was in college. No, it wasn't written on stone tablets, you know, but it was a long time ago. 
But those principles, awesome. I also recognize that it's difficult, but that it comes with this emotional price tag. Have you ever been justified in your anger and choose to lay it down? That's hard. That's hard. Luke 6.37, as well as some other passages that uh, I'll be covering today, speak directly about the necessity of forgiveness. I, I really, I just want to pause and say, I really, um, this is difficult. I think any pastor worth his weight struggles with what he writes, and he says, well, how about you? As he looks in the mirror, how are you doing with that, Paul? I hate that, but I love it. I love it. Luke 6.37 says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you won't be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Extremely powerful and serious words. They juxtapose action with consequence. These commands, and they are commands, are conditional. Conditional. If this, then this. If that, then the other thing. That's the way it works. And we need to fully realize that this is a command. There are three things in it. Obviously, you can see them. Don't judge. Don't be condemning, but be forgiving. Judging, to be judgmental, to pass judgment like this legal thing. We assume the position when we're being judgmental and don't soft pedal as people. It leads to some really nasty stuff if you are not honest. Being judgmental in an unholy way, and we're not, we're, we're not supposed to touch judgment. That's God's job. That's God's job. When we start taking that stuff on ourselves, we are in for a world of hurt from God and a world of hurt from within. We become bitter. We become bitter. Don't condemn, again, this whole legal thing. You have to understand uh, that when, when Luke wrote this down, this was understood as, as a legal thing. He was saying it in this way. This was jurisprudence being spiritualized, not in a negative way, but he was, he was bringing it into this idea, okay, of there's something more. This idea of contem- condemning is to pass judgment on. And then he said, but not Luke, but be forgiving. I love that word. Look up, forgive, forgiven. Forgiving. Look it up. Blue Letter Bible. Everybody's got Blue Letter Bible. Let me. You got to get Blue Letter Bible. Be forgiving. It means to set free. What did Jesus do on the cross when he died? Who did he set free? Himself? No. Every one of us who claims Christ. To set free. To let go of. That's a big one. When I deal with clients about forgiveness, 
if we're unforgiving, that thing has a hold on us. It's not the other way around. It has a hold on us. It will twist you. It will torque you out of shape. It gets ugly. But I love this last one. Forgiving. To set at liberty. Liberty. That sound good? As an American, I know that sounds good to me. All right. Sweet land of judgment. Sweet land of condemnation. No, sweet land of liberty. That's what that word means, forgiving. Now, let's look at this from the obverse. It says, don't judge in the obverse. Don't judge, and you won't be. Don't condemn, so you won't be. But don't be forgiving, and you won't be forgiven. That's what it's saying. Not unsaved necessarily, but unforgiven. That's pretty serious. Remember, Jesus came to set captives free. Whose place do we assume when we're unforgiving? Anyone here feel, feel those sandals? Anyone? Not me. Not me. Obviously, God takes forgiveness with the utmost seriousness. The crucifixion. If you watch The Passion of Christ, which premiered, believe it or not, about 14 years ago. I don't know about you, but when I started looking up some of this stuff, I'm going, 14? My beard was much longer, but I still didn't have any hair. <laughs> 14 years ago, The Passion comes out. You saw a visual depiction of the suffering and agony that Jesus endured prior to the cross and on the cross. What he went through should be an ever-present reminder to us, each one of us, of just how committed Jesus was to being fully obedient to the will of the Father, Jesus said he came to do the will of the one who sent him. Part of that was forgiving. Forgiving. Part of our obedience needs to be forgiving. That passage I just read said that if you're not being forgiving, you are not in obedience. But Jesus did this while he was being tortured. Luke 23:34 Forgive them, Father. That's what Jesus said. He said, "Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing." And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Thank you again, Todd. As as we're singing all these songs, I'm going He's preaching my sermon. You know, what am I left with? But it crossed my mind, and it has often, that those words that Jesus was crying out, forgive them, was while Roman soldiers were driving those hand-wrought spikes into his hand. If you've seen anything hand-wrought, 
It's rough. It's rough. I mean, have you ever gotten an injection with a needle that's like the size of a hair? And we go, oh, can you imagine him laying down his right as God for us? Forgive them. Forgive them. He said it after being scourged and beaten, after having been mocked, his beard violently pulled out. Jesus spoke these words to his father after a brutal crown of thorns was jammed into his skull. Blood running down his head and his face. Forgive them, Father. This is the holy, sinless Son of God, Son of Man, the Messiah of God, being treated ruthlessly for you and for me, for my sin and yours, And what he said discloses who he is singularly concerned about, you and me, you and me. What Jesus was most concerned about above every other thing, more than right of religious doctrine, training in in tradition or, or some kind of teaching, more than his disciples observing holy days or ordinances, more than anything else, was that God the Father forgive those who sin. He was sacrificing himself on behalf of, to give liberty, liberty to you and me, liberty. Jesus was praying to his Father to show mercy when none was deserved, to give grace where no grace had been earned. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, was imploring the Father, his Father, And if you're a believer, a follower of Christ, our Father, he was imploring our Father to give the gift of forgiveness to the very ones who had betrayed him and whose betrayal guaranteed his certain death by crucifixion. He prayed, forgive them. Forgive them. Have you been betrayed? Have you been betrayed? A spouse, a loved one. Uh, maybe somebody has revealed as, uh, you know, a confidence you've given. Has the body of Christ seriously hurt you? We're not perfect. We're not. What about abuse of any kind? As a therapist, I hear some, some uh, amazing things, not in a good way. Not in a good way. I'm so thankful that I can go to my God and ask him on behalf of that person, but ask for myself. I can claim scripture that says, you know, that God will never give me more than I can bear. Because scripture says we need to bear one another's burdens, not inflict pain. Maybe it was you that gave the offense. Perhaps you deeply hurt somebody through selfishness, self-protection. And don't deceive yourselves. When I went through this book uh, that I'm telling you about or was just referencing, uh, I was probably in my late 30s, somewhere in there. I started school late. They didn't leave me behind that many times. 
But when I went through that book, I'm thinking, you know, and that's why it impacted me the way it did. I think God just, if for nothing else, God had me in Bible college so that I'd read that book. And I've been on that path of forgiveness the rest of my life. And it's a joy to do it. It's a joy. Have you found liberty in the blood of Christ? If you're the offender, have you found liberty in Christ? Through his love exemplified on that cross, excuse me, none of man is guiltless, but all, everyone, inclusive, can find forgiveness through coming to that paschal lamb called Jesus. Micah 7.18 Who is a God like you who pardons sin? That means to carry it away. And to forgive. That means to pass beyond. The transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. That's kindness. Loving kindness. I want you to understand how this works in God's economy. Is that when you and I, you and I, for our sin, are convicted enough where we go to him and ask forgiveness, we recognize, we ask for forgiveness, do you know what God literally, well, figuratively, does? In Scripture, it says he places it behind his back, and then he throws it in the deepest part of the ocean. It's all figurative language. God is spirit. You can't actually handle a sin. I mean, you know, you can't. You can maybe handle the result. But just understand what this means. You go to God and you say this, this thing. And God receives that that sin that you're offering and asking for forgiveness. He puts it behind his back. Now, I'm going to ask a question. Mothers, mothers, I want you to stop and think before you answer. Can any of you see behind you? I know I heard my mother could do that. (laughs) And we threatened our son (laughs) that mom, he sees behind her. But God, God for our benefit, says, it's behind me. What's the representation? I can't see it. But then, then he throws it in the deepest part of the ocean. What does that really mean? It's irretrievable. Irretrievable. Can't see it. Irretrievable. I'm guilty of it. I'll, I'll admit, you go to God twice or three times or 18 times with the same thing. Understand, after the first one, if you meant it after the first one, when we keep praying for that same forgiveness over and over, do you know, I could just picture this look on God's face looking at his son going, what's he talking about? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know. But that's just it. Micah, this Old Testament prophet said, who is a God like you? Who pardons? Who pardons? Forgives. And doesn't stay angry. 
Maybe we could learn something from that. God forgives. If that's part and parcel of who he is, Jesus came to forgive. John 3.16 says such a thing. Picture John 3.17. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but through him they might be forgiven. Forgiven. Jesus demonstrated it in his life. And I say I'm thankful for that. But we must never forget that God, through our circumstances, is recasting us into that image of Christ. After all, humanity was created in his image and likeness. By learning to and actively engaging in forgiveness, we demonstrate to others that likeness of Christ. We are our own worst advertisement at times or the advertisement for Christ. Was this act of Jesus, of seeking forgiveness on behalf of others, guilty people, an example for us to follow? You can see it through Micah. Since Jesus came to restore all men to himself through the forgiveness he paid on the cross, what does the Bible say about forgiveness before the death of Jesus? Prior to his crucifixion, we find an account in Matthew 18. 21 Matthew 18:21 Then Peter I don't know about you I love when I read that cuz then I go really what what do you do now <laughs> What do you do now Cuz that's me I'm sure it is Then Peter came to him and said Lord how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him 7 whole times Really? Like, like, like seven's good, right? If you tell me six, I'll be so happy with that. Was Peter thinking, though, of something, an incident in particular? Was he the victim of some mistreatment? I'm not certain, but the question Peter asked of Jesus is very human. And I know a thought that goes through my mind. Enough is enough. Anybody feel that way? Enough is enough. My father said, you're getting your back up. All right? You're getting your back up. And that's not what Jesus did. But many of us are probably familiar with Jesus' response. For those of you not acquainted with it, it's from Matthew 18, 22 through verse 35. Let's read it. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, is like the kingdom of heaven. Do some work on that one. We are members. Every believer is the member of the kingdom, although we are not with the king right now. And the king is not with us. We are members of the kingdom. But understand, as members of the kingdom, we need to act like the kingdom is here. Is that is that clear? Okay. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servant. As he began the settlement, the man who owed him 10,000 bags of silver was brought to him. Since he was unable to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all they had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. 
and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Uh, In case you're wondering, that's us. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had that man thrown in prison until he could pay it all back. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called that servant. He said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. I don't know how you read that. I know how I read that. I will tell you my interpretation of that. If we don't forgive, God's not happy. And if he's saying, my son forgave But you don't? Read the text. It's startling what Jesus said. If you don't forgive others, you won't be forgiven by God. If we refuse to be forgiven, are we even truly born again? Do we understand that? After all, Jesus himself said he had come to do the will of the Father. Can we do less? If it says we need to forgive, that's the will of the Father. We need to forgive. And there's consequence if we don't. While Jesus was being brutalized by Roman thugs, professional killers, sadistic brutes, part of my original on this goes on a lot more. It's hard to describe those, those people. They're, they're professional murderers. He pleaded for the Father to forgive them. Wow. But not only them. Remember, Jesus died for all. That includes you and me. We're in there. And those who have truly hurt you. Okay? Jesus died for them. One of the things that I try and teach people when it comes to this issue of forgiveness is that person who hurt you is not all that. They hurt you just because they did this thing doesn't make them that that's all they are. We need to restore their humanity to them because their humanity was never lost on God. They are quite human to God. And we need to treat them as God's creation. We don't have to put up with certain things. We don't go back at certain, you know, certain pieces of forgiveness. We don't restore that relationship the way it was. It's been changed. But just because the relationship has changed doesn't mean you don't forgive them to set at liberty. I'm going to tell you, you're the one who's being set at liberty. Jesus set you at liberty through his death. By us forgiving, 
we set ourselves at liberty because we follow the example of Christ. By forgiving, we're practicing obedience to God's commands. And it's through that forgiving that we find freedom. We find it. In the book of James, in 4.17, we read this, To him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it's considered sin. I don't think I gave you guys that verse, so if you're looking for it, probably not there. But James 4.17, To him who knows to do good, some translations, to him who knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it's considered sin. And I I want to pose this to you. If what I have told you is from Scripture, and I hope you see that it is, you now know... Forgiveness is not an option. Forgiveness is the thing to do. You now know to do right. Not to do it is sin. Isn't this a cheerful sermon? (laughs) You know, I'm I'm always driving. I'm, I'm rehearsing my sermon and stuff and getting stuff nailed down, and I'm going, what am I thinking? You know? But I do want to say that I need to preach the whole counsel of God. I need to. Why? Because I love you. I love you. And I want you to understand, to him who knows to do right and doesn't do it, it's sin. There is absolutely no freedom in sin. None whatsoever. Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus reading from the scrolls. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That's to hurt people. That would include me. To preach deliverance to the captives. We don't forgive. We are in captivity. And recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Understand, people that abuse you and hurt you and all this, in some way, I'm just going to blanket statement this, they are hurting people. Common phrase from, you know, however long ago, but hurting people hurt people. Understand, you're forgiving a wounded animal, so to speak. Romans 6, 1 through 7 says, what shall we say? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We can't do that. Let me stop there at verse 2. Romans 6, 1 and 2. Should we continue not to forgive? How can we? We're dead to that. But I want to tell you what you know. The Apostle Paul, he struggled with it. He said, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I find myself not doing them. Let me finish with this. True disciples of Jesus Christ, we must be like him in all things, striving for that, especially when it comes to being forgiving. That's who Jesus was. The gain Paul spoke of, I believe, is manifold. We gain more of his likeness. We gain more of his grace. We gain more freedom from the world's ways, and we gain freedom to be free indeed. John 8:36 says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, You shall be free indeed. We're getting ready to celebrate communion. I want to end in this way.
Um, there's no more appropriate time than before communion to get, get your spiritual life right with God. If there's unforgiveness, if there's bitterness in your heart, I'm going to flag you off and say maybe you ought to wait until you get that settled. If you're not a believer, Scripture says don't take of this in an unworthy manner. Don't take it if you're not a believer. But I also want to say if there's active, open, unrepentant sin in your life, don't take it. Don't take it. If there's unforgiveness, if there's bitterness, hardness of your heart, get some, get some help with that. Talk to Pastor Chuck. Talk to myself. Read God's Word. Read God's Word. Communion talks about a coming together. We can't come together if we're holding back, holding on, unrepentant. We can't have fellowship, Paul said, light with darkness in 2 Corinthians. He says, what's, what's light got to do with darkness? So I want to tell you that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you that your grace is not cheap. Father, we cannot shortcut it. We can't avoid forgiveness. We had to come to you as true children of God in an attitude of repentance, of forgiveness, seeking forgiveness. And Lord, from what we read today, we see clearly that we have to be forgiving people. Lord, if there's anybody here struggling with that, before we take communion, Father, let them, let them get that settled. Lord, I thank you for communion. Your word says that uh, Jesus, on the night before the crucifixion, held the first of these, called the Last Supper, but that communion, the body and blood of Christ, figurative, figurative then, figurative now. But it is representative. That little bit of juice that we're going to drink, that's about the blood that was shed that washes sin away. That bread, the body that was broken, the body of Christ. Lord, you only needed to do that one time. It was sufficient. Hanging on the cross, Jesus said, to Telestai, it is finished, fully paid, done, complete. And Lord, we need to keep doing this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen.